Revelation. We're in a study of the book of Revelation. This is a very interesting chapter. It's 11 verses, chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And it's a chapter that we call an interlude or a pause in the chronology of the book. Now, for those of you who may have missed a a Sunday or you're new to the class, uh, John has had a series of visions, and in this last series of visions, he has seen uh, six angels uh, blow trumpets. Now, he says there are going to be seven angels who blow seven trumpets. So far, six of the seven trumpets have been blown, announcing judgment upon the Roman Empire. And this judgment on the Roman Empire is a foretaste of the ultimate judgment that will come at the end of the age. And that will come with the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Now, make sure that you understand that. Six of seven trumpets have been blown that announce the imminent, in light of John's seven churches, the very soon judgment upon the Roman Empire in their day. And these judgments that are going to come upon the Roman Empire in the day of John. We just lost the sound, didn't we? We lost our sound. Now we're back on. Okay. Uh, those, that judgment that's coming upon the Roman Empire is just a foretaste of what that final judgment's going to be like at the end of the age, which hasn't happened yet. That final judgment is going to be announced by the blowing of a seventh trumpet. Okay? So what we have in chapter 10 is an interlude, and it's going to add a lot of meaning to what we've seen so far. So let's look at chapter 10 and verse 1. John says in his vision, I saw another mighty angel. I saw another mighty angel. And notice in verse 2, this angel had a little book, or more literally, a little scroll open in his hand. So notice in verse 1, he saw another mighty angel. Now this is another mighty angel. Where was the first mighty angel? If this is another mighty angel, there had to be a first mighty angel. Where was that? Well, that was back in chapter 5. So look back there real quickly, chapter 5, in verse 2. Now I want you to notice the parallels. Chapter 5 and verse 2. Then I saw a strong or a mighty angel. There's the first angel. Proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? So notice the first mighty angel is associated with a scroll. This angel, the first angel, is located in heaven. The second mighty angel that he sees in chapter 10 is also associated with a scroll. But I want you to notice where he's located. Look back at chapter 10 and verse 1. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. So he's associated with earth. Two angels. One in heaven, talking about a scroll, another mighty angel on the earth, associated with 
a scroll. So this angel's coming down from heaven to earth, and he's on a mission. Now notice how he's described. He says in verse 1, He was clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head like a halo, not just a half arc, but a whole circle rainbow, like a halo was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, have we ever seen a description like this before? Remember when we talked about the rainbow before? That was describing Jesus. Back in chapter 1, this is a description of uh, what Jesus looked like. <clears throat> and so some commentators say, well, this second mighty angel is Jesus. And that is absolutely ridiculous. Okay? It's not Jesus. Now, how do you know it's not Jesus? Well, it's an angel. That's one reason. <laughs> now, angel can mean messenger. But notice it says another so there's not two Jesuses. You know, this is something that would be totally different. But this angel has, is described in the same way Jesus is described. The glory of God is upon this angel, just like the glory of God was upon Jesus. Why? Because this angel was in heaven and in the presence of God, and God's glory covers him. And now he comes to earth, and he's in this glorified state. So that's how he's pictured in these otherworldly uh, descriptions. Now look at his mission when he comes to earth. Verse 2. He had a little book, literally a scroll, open in his hand. So the angel has a written document. This document is smaller than the first scroll that you saw in chapter 5. That was a scroll that had seven seals. A lot of stuff was in it. This is a little book. It's a little scroll. And the difference between this one and the first scroll is the first one was sealed, and guess what this one is? It's opened. Okay? So that means there's access to the content. John can see the scroll, it's open, he can read what's in it. Now, this scroll he's going to mention again in verse 8, but between verses 2 and 8, he's not going to mention the scroll again. He has a couple other things he wants to talk about. And what he wants to talk about is this mighty angel. He's going to spend a little bit of time <coughs> talking about this angel's mission. Look what he says about that angel in the middle of verse 2. And he set, when he comes down to earth, he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, remember this is a vision. Okay? This is a pretty big angel. This is a giant angel. It's like the jolly green giant <coughs> angel. He sees in his vision this giant angel, and on one, with one foot he puts it on the sea, and the other foot he puts it on the land, showing that he has control of land and sea. Now, if he said the sea, the sea, what sea is he talking about? The Mediterranean Sea. In his vision, that's what he sees. The land would have been probably Israel. It'd be the earth. But remember something, this is all symbolic. All symbolic. And our job is to try to figure out what it all means. So this is symbolic language. Now you're going to see the same language in chapter 13 when he says, and I saw two beasts. One comes out of the sea. 
The other comes out of the land. <laughs> and so it won't be until chapter 13 that you really start finding out what land and sea is. Even though the sea, in John's vision, he sees the Mediterranean Sea, I think. The sea is not to be interpreted literally. It's to be interpreted symbolically. And the sea represents the nations. And the land represents Israel. So he has two beasts. One who is Gentile, comes out of the Gentile nations. And the other one comes out of the land of Israel. There's a Gentile and there's a Jew. One beast is Jewish, one beast is Gentile. So... This is why this, even though this is an, interv- uh, an, an interlude, a pause in the narrative, uh, we're going to get some information here that's going to prove very valuable uh, later on in the book. <clears throat> now look at uh, verse 3. And this angel cried with a... So you still with me on that? Does that make sense? This angel cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. <clears throat> and the lion roars... Uh, right when he's ready to pounce on his victim. Uh, he, that, that, when he pounces on the, right before he pounces on the victim, he roars, and what happens is the victim becomes paralyzed. Just for that split second. That's all the lion needs is that, that little pause. Like Victim doesn't know what's going on. He goes like this, and boy, right like that, he's pounces on He's got his prey. So this roar, which is coming from an angel is uh, precedes judgment that God's going to bring upon the earth. And it's going to hit the earth and the Roman Empire in a sudden way when it's unexpected. And when he cried, verse 3 says, seven thunders uttered their voices. Uh, like an antiphonal response. The lion roars and seven sun- thunders respond. The lion is on earth and he roars. There's a sound from the earth. The lion, the the angel on earth, roars, cries out. And then there's a sound that comes down from heaven that responds. Seven thunders. And that's often those thunders are often associated with God and judgment. Like on Mount Sinai, God thunders the seven thunders. And so here we have this uh, earthly cry speaking of judgment and this heavenly response, the thunders which speaks of judgment. And you can just look in Revelation and see all these times that thunder comes and there's judgment. And this is, speaks of judgment. So we have these two voices, one from earth, one from heaven, speaking of divine judgment that's to come. Now look at verse 4. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, when God sounds, if, that's, if the thunders are God or whatever, it's some message from heaven, I was about to write. He said, when those seven thunders uttered their voices, revealed something to John, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, and now there's a third voice, the first voice of the angel on earth, the second voice, the seven thunders, and now he starts to write what he hears in those seven thunders. And a third voice from heaven speaks, and guess what it says? Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Ah, boy, now you really, things really get interesting. Because the seven thunders reveal something. And he says, boy, I have to get this down real quick. 
me get out my uh, silver pen here and write this thing down. <laughs> and just as he's ready to write down what the thunders reveal, a third voice says, don't write it down, seal it up. So we'll never know what the seven thunders have said. Which means there are some things in John's vision that he does not write down and are not revealed to us. So anybody that tells you that they know all the details of what's going to happen in the future is absolutely crazy. Because John has not been allowed to write that thing down. And so you get somebody who gives you this chart, and they say, this is going to happen here, and this is going to happen, and this is going to follow here, and this is going to... Well, where, well, where does this, what the seven thunders say? Where does that come in? Oh, what seven thunders? Right here. The stuff that John wasn't able to write down. There's always stuff that's hidden. And that's why when you start making all these predictions, and there's a brand new book that's just come out talking about Christ is coming back in March 21st. Did you hear that? March 21st. So what, when is that? About two weeks? So if I'm not here, you'll... you'll. <coughs> so, I don't, you know, this is crazy. <coughs> so, so some things remain hidden. <laughs> and we don't have the full story of how it's going to happen. So no one knows the full story. And that's where all the theories fall by the wayside. Now, if you want to write a great science fiction book, I mean, not a science, a Christian fiction book, write a book called The Seven Thunders and reveal to your audience what this <laughs> angel said. You have a bestseller. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Okay, so that's scene number one. <clears throat> okay, now here's scene number two. Look at verse five. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised up his hand to heaven as if to take an oath. He, he puts his hand up in the air. That's the gesture of taking an oath. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, and you have your hand up in the air toward heaven? You ever wonder why it goes up? Because it's an oath in God's name. So help you God, and you say, I do. So the angel lifts his hand up, and then look what happens in verse 6. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the, look, See and the things that are in it. Now, what we have is we see that God is the creator of the land and the sea. And this angel has his foot on land and sea. God's representative. Showing that God controls it all. Even when the beasts come out of that land and sea in thir chapter 13, they're not in charge of anything. God's in charge of all of it. And this angel takes an oath, and here's the oath. <clears throat> Look at the end of verse 6. That there should be delay no longer. Delay of what? Watch. The blowing of the seventh trumpet. In John's vision, that seventh trumpet is going to be blown very quickly in the vision. Okay. Now, so in chapter... 11, in verse 15, you'll see the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Now remember, this is a vision. And six trumpets have already been blown, which announce that the Roman Empire in John's day is going to be judged. The seventh trumpet is just about to be blown. It's not going to be any delay. And it's going to announce the final judgment. 
Now remember, the blowing of the trumpets are just announcements. It's not happening yet, it's just announcements. Okay? The announcement isn't the reality. So, now I'm standing right here, and we're all here together, and guess what? Six of those trumpets were blown in that book, and those events have come to pass. Those seven churches of Asia Minor have suffered persecution. They're no longer around anymore. There were many people who were martyred for the faith. And God judged Rome. Is the Roman Empire around anymore? Okay, it's gone. The seventh trumpet is going to be blown in chapter 11, which speaks of the final judgment. But the reality has not yet happened, has it? Has the final judgment come? Has Christ returned? Has the world been judged? That hasn't happened yet. It's been announced, but it hasn't happened. So we're living, in a sense, between the sixth and the seventh judgments, or, uh, sixth and seventh trumpets. And that's where we live right now. Okay? So once you realize that the trumpets represent the announcing of the judgments, okay? Now, notice he says it won't be delayed. Now watch what happens. But the days, look at verse 7. The days, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God will, would be finished. The mystery, when that seventh trumpet blows, it's going to blow in chapter 11, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is the mystery of God? What in the world is this talking about? When that seventh trumpet blows, the mystery of God will be finished. That was told to the Old Testament prophets. Well, you know the word mystery, because that was one of Dr. Criswell's favorite words in Greek, wasn't it? Yeah, everybody knows that. <laughs> so, what we have is this word mystery. Now, what most commentators miss is the word mystery there in verse 7. In ancient Jewish text, writings, in the ancient world, the word mystery, the same word was used to refer to state secrets. State secrets. Or hidden plans that the king had. God holds state secrets in his hands. God has a hidden plan that he revealed to the Old Testament prophets. That's what verse 7 says. He revealed it, he declared it to the Old Testament prophets. He said, I've got a secret plan, a mystery that I'm going to carry out. And they wrote it down. But guess what? They didn't understand it. Do you remember God told Daniel, write down the things that are going to happen. <coughs> Daniel writes it down. And then God says something to Daniel. You know what he tells him to do? Seal it up. It's hidden. I don't want it revealed to anybody. It's hidden. But guess what? When that seventh trumpet blows, duh, 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 suddenly that hidden plan is revealed. And we'll all know what it is. So we have to just wait till chapter 11 and verse 15. And you're going to see what the hidden plan is. So Daniel has to seal it up, and John's going to reveal it. It's been sealed, and that will be revealed. Does that make sense? So now we come to the third scene. Look at verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again. Remember the first, first time he said, what? Don't write down what the seven thunders said. Remember that? 
Now he speaks again. And here's what he says. Go take the little book, which is open, the scroll, in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So his second instruction is, go get that book that that mighty angel has, take it, and so I went, verse 9, to the angel, and I said to him, give me the little scroll. And he said, take it and eat it. Start eating that scroll. And it will make your stomach bitter. But it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. So here... He's given these instructions to take a scroll and eat it. Now, does that sound familiar to you at all? You, have you ever heard of anything like that in the Bible? <clears throat> yeah, in Ezekiel. If you look over at Ezekiel, turn over to Ezekiel for a second. <clears throat> look at Ezekiel chapter 2. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 2. And when you get to Ezekiel chapter 2... Go down toward the end of that chapter and find verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 8. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. Okay? uh, Ezekiel 2 verse 8. And here's what God says to him. First of all, in verse, right in the beginning of verse 1, he hears this voice speaking to him, and here's what the voice says in verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the, rebell- the religious house, or the rebellious house. Open your mouth, now watch this, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me. And there was writing on the inside and on the outside. And written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Judgment. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and Fill your stomach with this scroll that I will give to you. And so I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. So, what we have is we have a precedent for this thing. Uh, This angel comes, voice from heaven tells John to take the little scroll and eat it. Now, when he says when you eat it, then this scroll is a word from God. In this scroll is God's word. It's a prophetic word. It's going to reveal things about the future. And he says, I want you to take it and I want you to eat it. I want you to devour it. Devour God's word. I want you to uh, internalize God's word. I want you to digest God's word. I want you to maul over God's word. That's what he's telling him to do. Meditate on this word. Turn it over and over again in your mouth. So, he says, when you do that, this angel says to John, two things will happen. Number one, 
in your mouth, it'll taste sweet. Tastes pretty good. But in your stomach, it'll turn sour. It'll be bitter. Have you ever eaten something that really tasted good and later you regretted it? That's what he's talking about. <clears throat> when you taste it, and this happens to be the words that are in that scroll, what's revealed in the scroll, you're going to say, boy, this is really good. But when you digest it, you're going to say, oh. Now, why is it going to be good and why is it going to be bitter? Well, because this scroll is going to reveal something. The Christians are going to be vindicated. Hey, that's good. Salvation, that's good. But once you start thinking on it, there's a flip side. If we're saved, what about the rest of the world? (laughs) They're lost. And that's sad. So he sees the good and he sees the sad. He sees that maybe he sees the church. This is for the seven churches. Maybe he sees that the churches will be vindicated. Hey, that's great. Maybe he sees that the churches will be persecuted. Oh, that's not so good. So you can see there's a one side which looks good, but when he really thinks it over, it's pretty bitter. Okay, so there's, and if this is describing the ultimate salvation, ultimately we're going to be saved. That's good, but ultimately the world's going to be judged, and that's very sad. Okay. So then look what happens in verse ten. It happens just like he said. He said, "Then I took the little book." Now look, this isn't literal. This is in a vision. <laughs> this is all happening in a vision. See, you're still thinking literal. In his vision, he sees this happening, and in the vision, he takes the book. And uh, out of the angel's hand, and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So as he devours this word of God, this is what happens. And then, just like Ezekiel, after he internalizes the word... He's now to externalize the word, see? And he's to speak. And look what it says in verse 11. And then that angel said to me, now that you got this word in your system and you know it inside and out and you've mauled it over and you've internalized it, look, now you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now I want you to speak forth the word. Now, notice he doesn't say, speak against nations, tongues, kings. Speak what? About them. So, now what he's going to do is he's going to reveal in the prophecy what's going to happen to the peoples, the nations, the tongues, the people of different tongues, and the kings. And later on in this prophecy, we're going to see what happens to them, because that becomes the basis for a lot of the rest of the prophecy. And some of the kings are going to turn and bow their knee to the king of kings. And some of the people are going to confess Jesus out of every tongue that Jesus is Lord. And there will be some that reject. And so there will be a sweet and a bitter message that will be prophesied. So now he is given a third instruction in chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, and then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, like a yardstick. And the angel stood. This is the one that's uh, the voice that came from heaven. And he said, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. And so this 
voice that comes from heaven, this third voice, gives him three instructions. Number one, eat the word. Number two, prophesy the word. And the third instruction is measure the temple. And that's what we're going to pick up on next week. We're going to look at this third instruction and what it means to measure the temple. And we'll look at that in chapter 11. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this chapter, which is short, but very important. And we see that what John is saying is a revelation from you. It's bittersweet. And we are starting to see that he is that this future is being unfolded to him. And it's being revealed to us. And while Rome has been judged, the events that are going to, that are associated with this seventh trumpet, this final judgment hasn't come. That means, Lord, we are in between times. We are living in this interval. We, we have time still to heed the message. And all lost people have time to heed the message and repent and be converted. Oh, Lord, help us to realize that we are left here in order to proclaim that same message. This revelation has been given to us now. We know the future. We know the end plan. We know the, the secret, the hidden plan of you, the king. And now, Lord, it's our job to tell others that they may repent and bow their knee to the king of kings and find salvation in him. In his name we pray. Amen.